When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Carter comes up shooting. Got it! 1.2 seconds to go! Vince Carter, you are amazing! Give it to me! A little baby black! Damage out of here! Welcome to 95 to Infinity Podcast, where I am joined with the usual suspects, Gregory Earshottis and Christian Wolfgang Graffin in lieu of our one episode in which after we talk about the Raptors, we will talk to, chat with Jack Armstrong. We had a uh, phone call conversation with him a couple days ago. Jack is a big uh, supporter of the show, and he provides some awesome <laughs> insight into the Raptors this season. So stay tuned for that. But before we get there, we're going to talk about some Raptors basketball. Big loss to the Brooklyn Nets. But nonetheless, you know, I guess majority of pundits kind of Okay, on playoff, not a contender, but from the looks of it, we seem to be right in the thick of things, even though we are currently sitting six and five. There's a lot to be excited about. The inclusion of Pascal Siakam coming back finally from injury. OG Ananobi has seemed to turn another corner. And Scotty Barnes. Yeah, but there are some lingering issues. And there's a couple of things I want to present to you guys quickly when we start off the pod. It's pace of play and assist percentage. Before Tuesday's games, the Raps ranked 29th and 30th, respectively, in those league categories. Do you see that being an issue down the road, especially with... It seems like, you know, playmaking necessarily wasn't our forte when it comes to our offensive identity. Pace of play for sure was, especially the last couple of years. What are your thoughts about this? Do you think this is going to be an issue down the road, or do you think we can work around these obstacles? Um, for me, I don't think it's too much of an issue because you look at the playoffs and the way that it's played, it's way, way, way tighter in terms of defense and there's not as much fast break opportunities. Uh, honestly, I'd look for the Raptors, like they're leading the league right now in steals, they're top three in turnovers and they're number one in offensive rebounds as well. So I think those are stats to focus on for the playoffs for the long run. Um, obviously you want to tighten up that, you know, what you're mentioning with the assists specifically, like you want to get the playmakers in and not play ISO ball so much, but it's worked so far. Um, and they're still getting a feel out. Uh, Siakam just got out there for two games. So I think you're going to see those numbers go up naturally, as long as the defense, because that's, what's really sustained their wins. In my opinion, as long as that stays at the level that it's at, then they should be pretty fine. Yeah. And, and Brandon, so just to clarify, the Raptors are 29th in the league in pace. 29th in pace of play, 30th in assist percentage. And I mean, the assists I can see, 
being a direct link to not having Lowry as a primary playmaker, Siakam not being there, another guy that that creates mismatches and 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 gets the ball moving. Um, the pace of play is surprising, just because I feel like every time the Raptors get a rebound, they're ripping and running down the court. Right um, now, that could also be though related to Lowry. I know with Lowry, you know they they were getting that ball. Like if you watch Miami now, you know they call it Kyle Chaos, but he's just been doing this in Toronto for years. Like how fast like he advances the ball. So and Van Vliet is a little bit more steady. He's more risk averse, I find. So if, and if him and Barnes are the ones leading are they've been our leading ball carriers, you know, they're less likely to push the ball up like that. So there's another topic I want to discuss and that's a rotation. Um, looking back on Tuesday against the Nets. Haskell coming back and he slid into that five roll starting rotation the guy that I want to talk about, who's kind of struggled to start the season, who coming off the bench put up a pretty, uh, pretty good stat line of thirteen and eight. Do you see kind of getting back into that rotation on board, or do you think he's going to be, you know, uh, an, and maybe an anchor or maybe more of an integral piece to our bench rotation moving forward? I I think that. Achua was always going to be was always going to struggle, despite the flashes that he showed. Just because you're, you're asking him to do a lot more than he did last year, and that exposed some things that you know, like his ball carrying ability. Um, you know, he he's got a little bit of a jump shot that he can use. Um, on the other hand, he's he's incredibly undersized. He's incredibly undersized at his position. And I mean, uh, Siakam looks to be a bit taller and a bit longer than Achua, although Achua I think is stronger. And so I'm not surprised that he struggled. Like a lot of his misses were right around the rim. Right now, I feel like putting him in as an energy guy, almost like a Montrez Herald type uh, or a Kenneth Fareed in his heyday, putting, getting him off the bench might do wonders just to kind of uh, uh, get him back doing what he is good at, right? Which is bringing that energy, right? And so I I think that he he will find his niche in that realm. And I could see him starting some games. Keep in mind, he's also very young. So there, there's, there's a lot of growth there at the same time. You compared him to two other players that also have dreadlocks, uh, Greg. Did you notice that? There's not that that was not the reason. They're, they're both <laughs> just energy guy, energy big men. I am joking. I also compared him not, I compared. I said last week, I think on the podcast, the Montrez Harrell is like his ceiling, right? Precious, yeah. like that would be ideal for him. Maybe it, a in my Farid type. Yeah, nay, nay. No, honestly, it pressures you a long term for me. Like that spot in the starting rotation is Siakam's. Um, you're right. They're both about the same size, I think, pretty much. But look, Precious Achua brings the specifically offensive rebounds. Like rebounding in general is what he does. So if like Siakam brings a lot more other weapons, obviously, specifically offensively. I think but, he's a bit longer too, Graf. Do you think he's got a little bit wider wingspan? Yeah. Ooh, 
Jockum. Okay. I mean, for me, I mean, I look at Kem Birch. Like Kem Birch for me is the center. Mm. If you're going to have a center on this team, it's it's it's, a, it's funny, right? Like we were always talking about the rotation and what's good and what's. I was listening to Nick Nurse the other day, and he said that he has basically the perfect defensive lineup and the perfect offensive lineup when he needs mm. it. He doesn't. He hasn't found that mix yet. And that's going to be tough all season long, right? He's going to be mixing and matching these lineups just to see who's, you know, who, who matches with who, because right now Boucher's looks terrible. Uh, Ken Birch has looked great. Precious Achua, to, in my opinion, to go back to your question, is a piece off the bench. Same with Delano Banton. It's, it's going to be a fluid situation throughout the season. We're going to see with injuries, everyone get a chance. I think when it's all said and done though, it'll be Ken, but Ken Birch is my guy at the center. Uh, Unless you want to go small and place the Yakum there, that that, that so, would be my main option. What was your graph? What was your sort of in- Yakum game one of the 2021-22 season? Um. Well, look, he. <laughs> I thought he you actually know, looked like, okay. Sorry, let, me, let me more preface it with you know, with the inclusion of Scotty Barnes. No, Cal Lowry. A completely different team than last year. Yeah, I mean, look, he he did everything he had to do out there. I mean, he in terms of shooting, I think he said himself the one thing that he was scared about when he came back was his conditioning. He said everything else he's prepped for. He said his shoulder wasn't an issue anymore for him. It was really just conditioning out there, and we limited him. He got 15 points. You know, he ended up shooting actually fairly well from the floor. He did everything we needed him to do. Um, for a first game back, no, I think it was great from Siakam. I didn't... I, I'm not in the camp and I never was in the camp of people that were always hating on Siakam for not being able to do crazy things. Cause look what at his one out of a number one option. Yeah. And look, like his rookie season is similar to like Barnes's season right now, where we were just amazed with everything Siakam did. And then we just expected that from him. But when you look, you know, when it's all said and done, I know he's a max contract player, but it's not like he was drafted that high. He was not, he worked his way to get where he is now. And I, I trust him. I, I think that he's one of those players that will take this as an opportunity with Kyle Lowry gone to be that number one or number two, because he's seen what Fred Van Vliet's done without him. Yeah, Greg, and, I want to throw one uh, one question to you just before we finish up this Raptors section. Christian, second uh, the 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 early season struggles of Chris Boucher. How does he fit in with our rotation? Uh, are, can you see him being relegated to the eleven twelfth man end of the bench, maybe getting five minutes of playing time based on his you know lack of success to start the season? Is this to me, Brandon? Yeah. So you know. Uh, in regards to Boucher, he he, you know, he had a, a a small injury that I think derailed him to start this year. And you know, there the different dynamics on the team. He's found it hard to find his spot. I think for Boucher, he has to just stay hungry, right? He has to play hungry, and and he has to let the game come to him a bit. I know he you know, loves to get shots up and all that, but he, I think he's forcing it a bit and he really just needs to focus on bringing that defensive hustle and intensity. And I feel like that's going to ignite the offense. And, and I do think that there's a meaningful role uh, for him somewhere uh, on this team. And, and, and just to go back to what Graf was saying with, with Siakam's first game, I was also really curious how he'd come out given like the success of Barnes and how much we've been playing through him. And you saw a little bit of that. It took some adjustment. Like you could see Barnes kind of backing off a bit, but I was impressed with Siakam, how he stayed within himself. And I think what in the past, the last year or so, 
you know, we saw a lot of like off the dribble three pointers, like really trying to be that like, all, like superstar offensive player that I don't know if that was ever what he was really best at. And, and, and in the game the other day, it was a lot of spot up threes. It was a lot of taking it to the basket. Right. And I personally am more comfortable with him in that role. So I, I was actually in, impressed by what I saw from, from Siakam. And I think the future is a Siakam, Ananobi, Barnes, uh, interchangeable front line of forwards that is just going to terrorize people. Let's do a little bit of a progress report just before we jump to Jack. Uh, you know, obviously we have a, a, a very... Uh, and we also have a really uh, impressive second-round pick this year in Jelano Banton. Just throughout this last week of basketball graph, what is your impression on these two guys? And um, what do you want to see from them moving forward when we talk about slight improvements? Um, I love them both. Um, I'm fully on the Scotty train. I think he's right now rookie of the year. I think he leads all rookies in points, uh, field goal percentage, and I believe it's a rebounding. So, look, he, my my wife, Netta, got to go to the game. She got to sit courtside a while ago, and she saw Scotty Barnes in person for the first time. And she said that he's by far the most jacked person on the team. And you can see it as well. He's so strong. Um, he gets high praise as well from well, people Kevin, like Durant. Durant, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So quite clearly for his age as well, he he's way, way, way ahead of the timetable. I think that even the Raptors um, management could have even imagined. So he's ahead of schedule. I, I have no problems with Scotty there. Uh, obviously uh, in terms of what can he, he can improve shooting has always been number one for Scotty. He likes to pull up too. It seems to be his shot. I don't think he needs to expand that much i think right now in his first year just perfect that shot it's gotten people like Kawhi and damar who i mean look damar's having an mvp type season it's gotten them really far as well so i'd rather him as nick nurse would say perfect one thing or do two things really really well than a whole bunch of things um and then to delano banton i mean look he started over Drogic. Drogic was a dnp the other night for the last i think two games now three games four games games, it's it's directly because, I mean, obviously Siakam's back, but it's because of how Banton's been playing. And that length of having him as a point guard out there, that's 6'9", it changes everything on the floor. It's almost like Rudy Gobert out there at center for the Jazz, but on the opposite end of it. It just changes everything. We can switch um, offensively. He has no problem driving it to the basket. He has to work on his shooting, obviously, as well. But that seems to not really be that much of a problem anymore for for these rookies. They're coming in, and they're just establishing themselves specifically on the the defensive end. Like That's where they're both getting their minutes. but yeah, I don't know. I've been super impressed with both of them. I, I really don't have too many negative things to say about them. Yeah, if I could follow up on that, to me, uh, Scott, Scotty Barnes is a mix between Giannis Antetokounmpo and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, you know, he's got just to, to Netta's point there, uh, graph about him being the most jacked on the floor. Like when I was watching some of these games early in the season, like I thought a real uh, trademark uh, uh, game that he announced himself on the scene was when he played it at Boston Garden. You're talking about your second game as a pro going up against this 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 elite wing, these two elite wings, and you outplay them. Like like he defended Jason Tatum on one end and was attacking him on the other. And I thought he looked like the best player on the floor. Like he has an NBA ready body and 
when you combine that, and look, I also think that we've put him in a, in a certain, like there's a reason why he really wanted to come here. He fits so well within the culture here, right? Like, like I don't know if he would have had this kind of start somewhere else. Like the start he's having isn't just like, yes, it's historic from a Raptors perspective. It's the only other rookie that put up numbers like he did through, through his first handful of games was Shaq. Like, like, like the, the, that's the company that he's keeping right now. And in regards to Banton, I think, again, he, he it's his fit within this team and how when you put Banton and Barnes together, all of a sudden now you've got a 1-5 switchability that no other team really has. And what I see in Banton, I see a lot of um, Sean Livingston in Banton. I, th- I just think he has to, you know, the, I'm talking about the length and the playmaking. I think he just needs to to, to really perfect his shot, right? And I even mean just like that little mid-range shot that Livingston used to have that he could just kind of turn and, and rise above people. The three will come. And let's not forget about uh, Scotty's old judo toss to our friend Jared Allen. Uh- <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thank you for listening here. Jack. All right, my first question is, uh, I think like most Raptors fans, or I guess myself, you know, coming in the draft, there was the consensus top four. You know, you had Cunningham, Green, uh, Mobley, and then Suggs was the consensus number four pick. And I think for many Raptors fans, it was a lock and idea that we were going to draft Jalen Suggs, replacement for Kyle Lowry. Lo and behold, draft night, Scotty Barnes was picked number four to the shock of a lot of Raptors fans. What was your initial impression of that selection? And how has he kind of changed your perception of him from draft night? Uh, I was completely comfortable uh, with it because I felt like uh, Masai Ujiri and his entire f- basketball operations staff, those guys not only travel North America, they travel around the world. Uh, they do their homework. And I think a lot depends on the fact that you say, okay, what do I have in place here in terms of coaching staff, uh, the people that can develop my G League situation, what is our track record over the last five years developing players? You know, Masai can look back at his track record as well in Denver. Uh, and, you know, you look at, you, you look at, put it all together and you say, I'm going to go into this draft uh, looking to get a guy that I think uh, in, a, in the next three years, five years, seven years, 10 years, gives us the best opportunity to win a championship. And which guy has the greatest ceiling? And I think you evaluate those guys on your board and then you roll with it from there. Um, you know, and, and to me, uh, when I, when I look at uh, what they have in place right now, uh, I think they honestly felt like based upon what Scotty Barnes's potential is, uh, they felt like, Hey, this young man has a chance to achieve a lot more. His ceilings higher. And also remember the fact that they drafted a point guard last year in the first round and mm-hmm. Malachi Flynn. They had Fred Van Vliet, who had given a sizable contract to. Kyle Lowry was going to be gone. Uh, you know, they end up bringing Goran Dragic in, who was only here for a year, and who knows how long he'll be here. But my point is, uh, you already have point guards, and I'm, they obviously had their eye on Delano Banton, who they view as a. Uh, kind of a hybrid type point guard. 
uh, and more of a version of what they like. And so I think they they were looking at it saying, you know, what other areas of our roster and, you know, which guy. And, you know, look back on maybe uh, even Isaiah Thomas years ago taking Tracy McGrady right out of high school, mm-hmm. Mount Zion Academy. And people are like, what are you doing? Uh, and only a few people were taking the Kevin Garnett's and the Kobe Bryant and guys like that back then. Well, I guess the, the Kevin Garnett thing was the last high school player picked that yeah. high was Moses Malone, so it was you know a big gap between. You know, yeah, that. yeah. And, and my point, my point is, is that uh, when Isaiah Thomas took Tracy McGrady, uh, he wasn't taking him for what he is now. Uh, he was taking him based upon saying, where do I see this kid in five years, 10 years, 15 years? Well, guess what? Trace McGrady had a Hall of Fame career. So uh, to me, that's your job. you got to look and say, how do I look at Jalen Suggs? How do I look at Scotty Barnes? Five years out, 10 years out, 15 years out. What have I done with players prior to this? All those different questions that you ask yourself. What are the comparables? Uh, What's this guy's ceiling? And uh, to me, I think they uh, went there, and uh, quite frankly, I'm very comfortable with it, uh, watching Scotty work out in training camp, meeting him, chatting with him, uh, watching him now in the, in the preseason games and now in the regular season games. I totally get why they were intrigued and fascinated with him. Uh, he's like a, really, like a really good kid and mm-hmm. plays the game hard. And he can impact the game on a number of fronts. He's going to be a good pro. Well, that's what's kind of mentioning, like just having that magnetic personality. You know, he seems like someone who wants to be in Canada, who wants to play in Toronto. You know, I think a lot of players, especially, you know, maybe toward the South, are reluctant with the idea of playing in Canada. But, you know, I think Barnes really kind of accepted and was open to the idea of playing north of the border. I, you know, I don't really think that's a big deal anymore. Uh, I've been with the Raptors 24 years. I can honestly mm-hmm. say... It was a big deal years ago. I don't see that at all as a big deal. I think that overwhelming majority of guys would much rather play in Toronto than an overwhelming majority of NBA cities. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I don't even think so. When when Canadian fans say, "Well, he's happy to be in Toronto," uh, I don't. I I, I, I think that's kind of in some ways um, not really uh, appreciating how great a place Toronto is and how great a place Canada is. And uh, I I agree with Masai Ujiri uh, uh, a few years ago when he challenged fans to, you know, think better of of the situation. And um, this is a great place. Um, And it is. And to me, I, I think this is one of the elite markets in the NBA and uh, Canadian fans, Raptor fans, should never have to apologize for it and should never worry uh, if a guy wants to play here or not. Uh, uh, you know, quite frankly, they're lucky to play here. Uh, this is one of the great markets in the NBA. Uh, we're doing them a favor. It, it, they're lucky to be here. Uh, it's a great market. And I think if you ask guys who have played in Toronto – and particularly guys who have played in Toronto, who played in other markets in the NBA, I think they would rate their experience in Toronto uh, right at the top of the list compared to other places 
And I know that for a fact based upon the discussions I've had with players mm-hmm. over the last 24 years. Well, the most, uh, the biggest thing for me was uh, the Patrick, uh, sorry, the Patrick Patterson Players Tribune article about, you know, his expectations coming into Canada and how he left, you know, how I, that was a big thing for me. You know, I think like we were talking about before, I think I perceive the stigma to be a lot bigger than it actually was about playing north of the border. And it was really amazing to see Patterson kind of talk about, you know, how much his perception of this country changed over time. One thing we want to talk about, and Greg is going to add into this, is the inclusion of Pascal Siakam in the lineup. Greg, do you want to add in on that? Well, hi, Jack. It's, it's, it's just that basically, right? Like we've seen Barnes now get off to, I mean, if you look at the numbers, uh, not just a historic uh, start from a Raptors standpoint, but it's, it's hard to put together a group of rookies that have uh, kind of hit the ground running like Barnes has. And, and, and I mean, we saw a little bit of this last game, the, the adjustment now with Siakam on the floor. How do you see that impacting Barnes if, at all, really, and how do you see the Raptors playing these two together, given that previously Siakam was our starting power forward in an age of quote-unquote positionless basketball? Well, I think a lot of it's going to come down to matchups and who you're playing that particular night. You know, floor spacing's an issue. You know, uh, hopefully Siakam can shoot the ball well from three this year and show improvement there. If he does, then you can get away with it a little bit more. Uh, you know, Ananobi shooting the ball better. Trent is playing well. Obviously, Fred Van Vliet can shoot the ball. So, you know, as long as you have enough spacing on the floor, uh, I think you can play those guys. If, if it's Scotty Barnes and two other guys that aren't great shooters, uh, then, you know, then you have some area of uh, concern with in terms of depth, in ter- excuse me, in terms of spacing uh, that you have to consider. Uh, but, to me, I, I think a lot of it just comes down to being able to keep the defense spread. And um, But I just love what Scotty Barnes brings. I think he and Siaka will figure out how to complement each other. It's going to take time. It's not going to look great overnight yeah. uh, because, because they have to kind of learn each other's games and uh, how they react to each other and how they move without the ball and where they want the ball. You know, uh, Scotty Barnes is a, a tremendous passer. So he's got to figure out kind of Siakam's game a little bit and where he likes the ball and uh, different pet moves that he has and areas of the floor he likes to operate from and uh, not you know and make sure you have good spacing um, and at the same time I think for Siakam he's got to learn uh, the games of a uh, you know a, a guy like uh, Barnes and uh, Mahaluk and uh, Banton so many of these other guys that he hasn't played with before. So it's fun. Hey, look, for the Raptors, as we take this right now, guys, to be six and five, uh, Mm -hmm. I'm pleased with what I'm seeing. I think they're uh, ahead of of where I thought they'd be, uh, considering that they didn't have Siakam for 10 of the first 11 games. They haven't had Utah Watanabe. Uh, You know, Birch uh, was coming back from being out the whole preseason. Boucher. Yeah, I, I, yeah, Boucher, you know, so to me, I, I kind of like where they're at right now. Yeah, thank you, Jack. Awesome. And then just to switch gears uh, to more about you. So obviously last season, uh, Tampa Bay it was a bit different for the Raptors, but also for you as a commentator. Um, us as fans, we're used to you being on the floor, calling games and giving us that insight or a soundbite that we might not hear um, what was the biggest challenge for you as a broadcaster calling games remotely? And what adjustments do you have to make? And how does it feel to be back? 
Well, uh, you know, not only did I do the games last season remotely, uh, when, when we had the bubble experience from Orlando, mm-hmm. uh, we called those games as well remotely. So I had not been in person with the Toronto Raptors as a team for 18 months uh, from March of 2020 uh, up until going to training camp at the end of September. I hadn't seen any of those people. Uh, so that was really odd. Um, uh, so to have, you know, I, I think I got better as a broadcaster and, um, because I think having to call games off of television really challenges you to, uh, in terms of your insight, your preparation, um, to, you know, and, and the ability to keep your energy level up. Uh, the one thing I did when I called games on television from studio was to stand the entire game. And that's not easy to do, but uh, I think in order to keep your energy level up, if I sat down, uh, you know, there's no energy from where they're playing. There's very few fans, in many cases, no fans. And there's no emotion, no pop coming from the television. So if I'm not up, if I'm not fired up, if I'm not dialed in to that game, you're going to feel that as well. And if it's a game that isn't very good, you know what you're going to do? You're going to grab your clicker and turn on another a game or a TV show or whatever. Uh, so to me, I, I think we're fighting for your attention. We're fighting for your, uh, you know, your entertainment. And uh, so I, I take that very seriously. Uh, I think it's important to the growth of our game and the growth of our sport across Canada. Um, and now being in person again, I think uh, you're able to get a greater insight into things because they're happening right before your eyes. Uh, and that's a, a, a great thing. And it's funny, I've had to say to the guys in the t- TV truck a few times, uh, I, I have to say to them, hey, remind me that we still have a monitor here. Uh, I've, been ah. watching, I've been watching games so much on a TV, I'm so captivated right now watching it in person before our, my eyes that <laughs> occasionally I've forgotten to even look down at the TV set in front of me because there's times that we're obviously telling a story and we might have an ISO shot of Gary Trent or Nick Nurse or uh, uh, Bradley Beal or whoever or, or a statistical board that we have to refer to. And if you're so dialed into the court, uh, you're not telling your story to the viewer. So, uh, But I call that a positive problem to have the ability uh, to uh, even uh, have that issue to deal with again is a really good one. Awesome. That's some of the, the tricks to stand up then, I guess, uh, to keep that energy level up. Um, and then just to go, I guess, talking about insight. So we get a big insight into the personal life of just the Raptors players as well, specifically with open gym. Um, so it makes it hard when we wave players like Wainwright or Decker, who are great, you know, character players and all around people. In general, how well do you get to know the players in the personal level? And are there any players on the current roster or previously that were Raptors that you still hang out with to this day? Well, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. It's been incredibly hard to get to know players. Uh, you know, last year it was impossible because mm-hmm. we were a few thousand miles away. Uh, this year, I can honestly say it has not been easy either uh, because uh, the COVID protocols that rightfully obviously are in place, uh, there's, there's a, a lot less contact that you have that maybe you would have traditionally. Uh, 
So I'm still kind of working my way through that right now with this group, uh, getting to uh, introduce yourself to players, just meet them uh, briefly. But uh, I haven't been able to really get in depth uh, with as many as I'd like, uh, but that'll come in time. Uh, but I, I feel like in past, in, the, in my 24 years with the Raptors, uh, I've had great relationships with so many of the guys. Um, you know, and, but, you know, obviously the, uh, the retired players, when they come back, uh, you spend time hanging out with them and telling stories and having a good time. And the guys that are currently playing in the league, uh, it's kind of a, uh, you know, it's a quick thing. Uh, mm-hmm. when you see them when you're playing and you chat, you know, like we're chatting with DeMar DeRozan the other night, uh, you know, texting uh, different players, uh, you know, like a, and, and staying in touch with them. And uh, it's always great to see a DeLon Wright or a Corey Joseph or a, uh, mm-hmm. a Jonas Valanciunas or a Terrence Ross or guys like that that are on other teams uh, and reconnect with them or Kawhi Leonard or Danny Green or whatever. Um uh, again, a lot, uh, you know, the world's a little different place than maybe it was uh, back in March 2020 where you could hang out and stand on a court and chat with a player for 10 minutes. Um, th- those days don't exist right now. I hope that they will eventually. So, so it, it does impact your storytelling a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, so, uh, but again, in time. But I, I feel really good about the relationships I've had with guys over the years. And uh, it's great to reconnect when I see Antonio Davis or Charles Oakley or Del Curry or Vince Carter or Tracy McGrady or Muggsy Bogues or uh, obviously Alvin Williams is now a colleague. And, uh, and Alvin's one of my all-time favorites. And, uh, you know, and, and to just uh, run across a lot of different people in it. So uh, it's a people business. And, uh I feel really fortunate to have been around a lot of really good people. And uh, I look at what Masai and his staff have done, uh, and even Brian Colangelo prior to that. Uh, I think they did put an incredible value on the character of the guys that they brought in. Um, and I think it makes the job of the uh, coaching staff and the, sec- and the support staff, it helps their job a lot better because they're able to uh, – be around people they like being around that are responsive and good people. Awesome. All right, this is our last question. Uh, thank you so much for speaking to us, Jack. I really appreciate you giving us the time. We haven't really had an opportunity to talk about the Raptors after the championship. Um, pretty massive, magical moment for the city of Toronto. The one thing I want to ask you was, what was it like bringing the Larry O'Brien trophy back home to Lewiston? Um, you know, I know we had a good night with a, a nice celebration party with family and friends. What was it like being able to share that piece of Canadian basketball history, bring Larry O'Brien trophy home and just having that night with it? Well, it's a funny story. Uh, my oldest son, Kevin lives in Los Angeles and he came home uh, to be at the party. My other two guys were in college and they weren't available. Uh, He'd already graduated from college, so he came home. And uh, so he came to the Raptor game the night before the party with me. Uh, I think we were playing Orlando, if I'm not mistaken. So after the game ended, they said, Jack, meet uh, meet us here and pick up the trophy. So pick up the trophy, put the trophy in the back of my car. (laughs) And I I live in Lewiston, New York, which is right across from Niagara Lake. I literally live on the Niagara River. 
my backyard is Canada. Uh, <laughs> so we drive we drive over the border back. You know, it wrapped the game ends. Kevin and my son and I back, and we cross the border into the United States. And the guy says, uh, "Hey, coach, how you doing? Blah blah blah. How'd they do tonight? Hey, does you have anything to declare?" I said, "Actually, I do. <laughs> usually, I, usually I never do because I'm just crossing, going home." Uh, I said, "I actually do have something to declare." I said, "I have a." I have the NBA championship trophy, the Larry O'Brien trophy in my trunk. The guy goes, are you kidding me? I said, I'm not kidding. <laughs> he goes, would you mind if I took a picture with him? I'm like, yeah, no problem. Uh-huh. Uh, he goes, would you mind if I have uh, the guys that are inside, you know, all the border guys? I said, yeah, come on, bring everybody out. So we opened up the trunk. We took the trophy out. And uh, these guys all took a picture with the uh, wow. NBA championship trophy. So that was very funny. And uh, to have uh, probably three, 400 people come in and out of your house, uh, you know, we had the, a big party where everyone could come in and out. It was a beautiful late October day. I'll never forget. And it was uh, people coming, you know, com- coming in, having a cold beer, you know, taking a picture with the trophy. And all night, people were coming in and out. It was like a cocktail party, and it was just amazing. And at the that that night, I had the uh, game six against Golden State when the Raptors won it. I had that playing, and one of my nephews, I said, you know, when, when the tape runs out, put it back on again, or you know, so people can watch it. Yeah. And then at the end of, at the end of the night, after cleaning up the house and all that, I sat on the couch and finally watched the game, and, and I did the game. And uh, I never watched it. Uh, that was your my first time. Yeah. My first time watching because you know uh, our off season was so incredibly busy, and demanding in terms of appearances and different things that people were asking me to do. That I never had time to sit down and watch the game. Um, so I finally that night watched it, and uh, obviously it was the largest television audience in Canadian basketball history, and to have the thrill to call that game with Matt uh, that night and, and to be part of history uh, was just remarkable. And uh, so it was, a, it was a great, great experience and something I'll never forget. And honestly, when you do the game in person that night, I can think back at San Francisco, we were, we were on the air live TV for probably somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half after the game, you know, doing all sorts of stuff for TSN Sports Center and interviews and all that that you really don't have time to like celebrate because you're so damn busy uh, <laughs> the whole time. And then finally we got a chance to go to the uh, team party, uh, you know, later in the evening. And that was a lot of laughs. Uh, but, you know, I would, I, I can honestly say that, uh, you know, when you're in the midst of it, you're working so hard, uh, you really don't get as much time to reflect on it uh, and celebrate it. And only months later, do you really, Say to yourself, oh my God, the Raptors are NBA. I'll never forget running uh, running on the lake shore, uh, probably a few weeks after um, the Raptors won. I was in Toronto for some event, and I, I'm, a, I'm a big runner, and I was out running along the lake, and the guy's wearing a Toronto Raptors hat and t shirt. It says NBA champs, and I'm like, Damn! Did that really happen? <laughs> you got to you, you got to pinch yourself sometimes to convince yourself it actually happened, but it did, and it was a great experience. But as we know uh, in sports, as, it's nice to be sentimental and reflect on it and celebrate it, 
but you know, you can ask Jays fans that after the '92 '93 championship, uh, it becomes old news quick, and fans want to uh, focus on the now and the future. So uh, that's what I try to do now. Well, thank you very much for speaking to us, Jack. I really appreciate you giving us this time. Um, and just on behalf of all three of us, and I'm sure we echo the same idea, thought, you, you know, there, there's never been a, a sports broadcaster in our lifetime that's really, you know, had a, a, a bigger impact on us. You are the voice of Toronto sports, in my opinion. I just want to thank you for continually representing the Raptors in a very positive way. Well, guys, thank you so much. It's been a it's been a great ride, and uh, this is my 24th season, and uh, I love doing it, and I, I have a lot of fun doing it. It's a very joyful experience. I feel like I'm adopted Canadian, uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's just a, a really uh, great thing uh, to be part of. You know, the growth of the sport, and I always say I'm a I'm a little caraway seed in the bakery of life. I'm just trying to do my part. Uh, to help promote uh, the Raptors and the NBA and the growth of basketball, uh, you know, for for people across the country. So it's a it's a great experience. And it's funny, uh, a few weeks after the Raptors won the title, I was at a golf tournament in Halifax, and I had the opportunity to uh, meet uh, Nathan McKinnon and Sidney Crosby. Huh. I was hanging out ch- chatting with them. And all they wanted to talk about was basketball and the Raptors <laughs> winning the title. And I, I, I was laughing. I said to myself, I, I'm pitching myself. I said, I'm, I'm hanging out with Sidney Crosby, who will be in the Hall of Fame, and Nathan McKinnon, who's a tremendous player, who probably is heading in that direction as well. Mm-hmm. And they, all they want to do is talk basketball. <laughs> and I said to them, I said, what would happen now uh, if you were six years old, five years old, and you just witnessed what happened with the Raptors, would you be putting uh, on a pair of skates and grabbing a stick, or mm-hmm. would you be lacing up some kicks and playing basketball? You know, And to me, I think that's what it's about when I look at, in my 24 years in, in Canada, calling games, and prior to that, being a head coach at Niagara University, uh, watching where basketball was and where it is now, um, I'm excited uh, where it is, and I'm really excited for where it could go to. Uh, And people talk about the Vince Carter effect, and I feel like uh, there's another bump that's taking place now with the Raptors winning the title. And I think we have a lot more little girls, little boys that maybe are turned on to basketball more than ever. And that's why it's the fastest growth sport in Canada. And uh, so, I'm really t- I'm really tuned into that, and I think above and be- above and beyond the Raptors, above and beyond the NBA, all that, uh, every chance we can get to get people excited about basketball uh, through the Raptors, through the NBA, through the WNBA, through anything, NCAA basketball, which I still do, um, then I think we're reaching a goal of of Canada someday winning a medal and all those kind of things. I think it's a big deal. So I'm happy to be part of it, and I hope uh, to continue to be part of it. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jack. Guys, my pleasure. Have a great day. And we're back. I just want to thank Jack Armstrong for giving us his time. I know he's a very busy man. Probably doesn't have a lot of time to talk to a very small, lonely podcast like ours. So thanks, Jack. <laughs> and, and Christmas is coming up. The Hello Jack clothing line always has 
really hip, really cool stuff. You know, I always look online to see what I can, can buy for people from that site. So do have a site or do have a look at the site at Hello Jack. Alrighty, so going into just general NBA news, Craig, I'm going to throw this to you right off the bat. Um, you are probably the biggest Russell Westbrook apologist I know. And, you know, this season, uh, it hasn't gone the greatest for old, for old Russie boy. Um, Lakers 6-5, and five, probably below the expectations coming in this season. <laughs> what is going on with that team? And specifically, what is going on with Russell Westbrook? You know, realistically, in hindsight, would you would rather have Schroeder on that team than Westbrook? No. So, I mean, look how Schroeder's playing in Boston. He's not – I mean, I like Schroeder, and I think in the right setting, yeah, he's a good player. Um, I mean, the question is, would you rather have all the pieces that they gave away for Westbrook, or would you rather have Buddy Heald, who they were going to get, right? And look, although, like, he's had some rough game, I still think the answer – like, I still think the trade was beneficial for the team in the sense that LeBron has been out – He's going to be out. He's getting older and he's not going to be able to play the entirety of the regular season. You need someone right. That can continue to carry the load during that time. Right now he, what, and and what you're going to see more and more is Westbrook screening for LeBron, right? Because at the end of the day, right. When the game slows down in, in the playoffs, you're going to see Westbrook hit a play as a screener and a role man. Right. And that's something that, he never really did before, right? Zach Lowe talks about this a lot on his podcast. So, you know, I and keep in mind the Lakers, their full lineup isn't there. Like Taylor Horton Tucker, Trevor Ariza, uh, Kendrick Nunn. So those are two of their three youngest players, right? That they're going to need to 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 replace like the work that Caruso was doing because their defense is what's most concerning. But yeah, like it's been a, an adjustment. It was always going to be an adjustment, right? Like Russ ball is not necessarily always conducive, right? With the way that other, the way that the team wants to play. He struggled everywhere he's gone at the start and he always ends stronger. But again, I think the main point here is that he's just a, a horse that they can ride through the regular season and then come big playoff moments, the ball goes to LeBron. I, I honestly agree. Um, Right now, LeBron, you know, he's going to take a lot of break throughout the regular season. Westbrook's got to look at that as his opportunity to, you know, prove he's still whatever he is. Like, he got a triple-double the other night. Um, I guess they beat, who was it? It was in overtime. I think it was Charlotte. He looked pretty good. Like, he got a triple-double. Like, it's still Anthony Davis's team when when LeBron's out. But Westbrook's going to be that guy that can step up when LeBron is out to also be the facilitator and and to have the type of game that he wants. Honestly, the Lakers are West Coast team. Papa Papa Christian over here just can't stay up that late for the uh, for the old Lakers games. So, uh, Greg, I defer to you there for uh, for their analysis of their in game situations. Yeah, they're they're sorting it out, right? I mean, they they again they're they're an older team, right? So I don't think anybody expected them to be world beaters in the regular season. I think for them, it's about, you know, getting home court in, in the first round, making sure that everybody's healthy. I also, you know, I, I don't think this roster is going to remain as is, you know, I, I think there's trades that are going to come, right? Ooh, that, that, they, they, definitely, they definitely need a little bit more shooting. All right. On the flip side of the coin, Washington Wizards are playing some absolutely fantastic basketball, currently sitting seven and three. The trade, but we're talking about the guys going 
basketball, namely Kyle Kuzma and Contavious Cal. Brendan, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie. That's the point guard position. Uh, is this team kind of potential or is this a legitimate playoff team? I'm not saying a contender, but a team that could sneak in the playoffs as a top five seed. I think they can. And you, you uh, left out um, the one who I think has been playing the best out of those former Lakers, which is Harrell. Montrez Harrell, who, uh, uh, yeah, whatever reason, whatever reason he was out of the rotation in Lakerland. Like, I don't know what he did. Right. But so he's, he's returned to that form that we saw when he was with the Clippers. Um, and, and, you know, look, and Jack talked about this, right? Like basketball is a team sport, right? And I think when you've got players, the superstar players that are so ball dominant, right. And then you go to a team like Washington and your Kyle Kuzma and your Caldwell Pope and your Harold. And now you've got, did uh, Spencer Dinwiddie and 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 you've got some young guys there that they drafted. It's it's a lot deeper, right? And there's a lot of teams maybe that didn't take them seriously to start the year, right? And they made them pay. I think they will be in the mix for the later playoff spots, possibly a a play-in tournament spot. I don't. I definitely don't see them remaining as one of the top four uh, teams. But look, if Brad and Bradley Beal hasn't even played well, when Bradley Beal starts to play well. Right. I mean, who knows? Right. Uh, this is a great this is a great step towards reestablishing that that franchise there. And I'm happy for their coach, too. I think he's he's done a really good job. Yeah, right, I think, I'm going to say. And I don't really want to talk about this, but I feel like we'd be doing a disservice to our listeners if we didn't kind of subtly touch base on this quickly. And that. In Saga. Yeah. Is him potentially Maybe Jalen Brown, maybe a Tatum. Graf, the question I have for you, do you think Tatum and Brown can coexist on the same team on a championship? I do think they can win a championship together. Maybe a Brown for Simmons fit, maybe being more beneficial for the team down the road. Or maybe, you know, Simmons with Tatum. I'm, I'm not quite sure how that would fit. What are your thoughts on this? Well, it's funny because you come, when the Celtics came into this season, I mean, they had a new coach, um, at this point, both Tatum and Brown are old enough. Like they don't have that young player excuse anymore. Um, and they've been together for a while. So look, it, it, it hasn't resulted in winning. I don't think Ben Simmons is the answer in any way. And in terms of that trade, I think Jalen Brown, if they're, if they were going to send anyone, it would be him. But I think Jalen Brown is the better player uh, in that trade. When you look at him and Ben Simmons, and I know that Brown's been extraordinarily inconsistent. He's coming off an injury as well, but I mean, look, he's had a couple games where he's dropped like 36 and 40 something points. And then he's had come somewhere. He's just dropping under 10 points. So uh, it depends which, you know, Jalen Brown you're going to get at this point of I'm the Celtics. Sure. I'm exploring options. I don't think I'm looking at Ben Simmons though, especially since Daryl Morey seemingly is not going to budge on his price. Um, I heard another rumor that, because he wants, you know, named people and superstars that he wanted OG and Obi from the Raptors. And, and I know that he's explored a lot there. So I don't know. He's look obviously more. He's looking for that type of player, a two way defensive, almost, I guess, guard to play off of him um, to play with Tatum again. But I just don't think that with the team that they have, I mean, Al Horford's been pretty good. Um, 
but they're still missing something. And I just don't know exactly what it is. Cause I think their roster, it doesn't look bad. They just seem to be underperforming. And I don't know if it's the head coach, if you can just say it's his first year. Um, but I do, I have higher expectations for the Celtics as to what they're performing this season. So for me, yeah, I'd be looking at trades. I just don't think Simmons for Jalen Brown, unless you're getting like another pickback or something. Um, I don't think that's the solution for them. Well, look, they are missing a point guard. Like, who do they start right now as their point guard? I'm not even sure. Is it Schroeder? Yes. Uh, right? And he's a score-first point guard, right? Um, you know, maybe – look, here's what I was actually – when I heard about that rumor that Boston was in talks with, with Philly for Simmons, this – like, keep in mind, this occurred after um, Marcus Smart called out some of these guys, eh? So, I – Right, he called out uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum basically for not passing enough. Right, yeah, they had a players only meeting, which apparently resulted in nothing. Yeah, so I was thinking, you know, maybe Stevens is like, you know what, I got to get rid of some of this tension and this bad blood right now. He came out and he made this public. It's gonna, this is gonna be a locker room issue. Let's see if I can get Simmons for, you know, I actually don't think they could offer Schroeder, right? Like, because he just signed with them. So maybe Marcus Smart and that other uh, point guard that they have, you know, maybe, uh, yeah, maybe hit, right? I'm just trying to think what kind of package they could put together where they wouldn't trade. Yeah, I don't know if it's a good I like but Maury's not going to make that trade. So to Graffin's point, it it would have to be then one of um Brown or Tatum, Tatum, right? And it would definitely be Brown, not Tatum, right? And as Graf said, you know, it's possible that Simmons isn't even the best player in that trade. Sorry. Yeah. So, so, but that's what, like, and I think based on need, they maybe could use, um, a real point guard presence uh, on that team and take a, and give more shine to Jason Tatum as a wing scorer where, you know, where, uh, Brown and, and Tatum become a little bit redundant, right? I love I love to see the Celtics. I love to see the our record better than the Celtics. Big game tonight against them. Biggest ISO ball team. That's that's the Celtics' problem right now. Is they just play ISO ball all the time. It's like watching Portland. All right, last thing I'm gonna ask yeah, you guys. Which is, which, be, yeah. I think I think another podcast asked this, but I'm gonna ask it as well. <clears throat> Who do you expect to see in the court first, Kyrie Irving or Ben Simmons? Oh, Simmons. Kyrie. Kyrie Irving for me. Why? Why, Graf? I just think that um, come February, maybe late January, when, you know, he needs four months or whatever it takes for him in his mind to get ready for the playoffs. I don't think he's missing the playoffs this year. Like, I don't think that's He needs to spend some time time harnessing the energy of the flat earth in order to come back and play in the NBA. I think if nothing's changed and he has to get a first vax, I think he'll get a first vax by by the all-star break and then he'll be back on the court. Whereas Ben Simmons' situation, I can see both Daryl Morey and Ben Simmons with the way they're going with the whole health professional thing right now. I can see this dragging on past this whole year. And I got a gripe about that, you know. They really shouldn't... I feel like they're trying to game the system by claiming... That, you know, and again, I'm not, dimin- I'm not diminishing athletes, like the pressure that they feel and, and the, you know, the angst and the stress that they're under, the psychological pressure. But, you However, know, 
but there are real, you know, there, there are players that, you know, have been battling depression and come out openly about that. And, you know, these resources exist for them. And now you see, you know, clutch, you know, at first it was his back and now it's that he's not, um, able, what did he, uh, like, you know, he said he's not able to perform uh, to his standard or, or the standard that he would like or whatever, but like, that's up for the team to decide about standard, right? Like, you, you know, sometimes 80% of a player is better than not having them, not having them at all. Right. So I don't know. I it's, it sits uneasy with me because now in the next collective bargaining agreement, the owners are going to be fighting back on some of these services. Right. And they're going to sit right. And, and they're going to cite this as an example that this player took advantage of this system. So just from an ethical standpoint, I, I, I have a gripe with that. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Big thanks to Jack Armstrong as well for joining us today. Again, you can catch our podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, um, TuneIn, uh, Spotify. I'm probably missing one right there. But, Apple. Uh, there we go. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys. We'll be back every week with the new basketball season. And go, Raps, go. Peace out, T-Dot. Yes, Miku, the man, the unsung hero.